Well, hello there, and welcome to Arcadia. Chris Marcus here with you, as always, on today, Monday, November 10th, 2014. Amazing how the time rolls by, and just last week it was that we were, or the, the U.S. electoral system was sending in a new batch of congressmen in the midterm elections, so I hope everyone is happy with how that worked out, or maybe people are very dissatisfied with a lot of things in our system today, certainly one of them being the financial system, which, again, many people often assume regulated by the government, although really the head uh, honchos in charge is the real wolf of Wall Street, also known as the Federal Reserve. And recently the big news was that they are finally going to wind down programs QE3 and QE4, which started with them back in January of 2013, pumping in an extra $85 billion per month, uh, about $40 uh, billion to the mortgages, 45 to the treasuries. It could be the other way around. It was, in either case, 40 and $45 billion. They've been slowly winding it down. Of course, I'm also here to acknowledge that I was completely wrong, that I thought that we would never see the day where they would actually stop these programs for the reason that I believe that they were aware that if they did stop the programs, you would have a very similar situation to what happened following... The dot-com bubble and the how and the or the collapse of the dot-com bubble, along with September 11th, which were two of the forces leading Alan Greenspan to lower interest rates. Back in the early 2000s, of course, he got down as far as one percent in 2003, where he left the short-term interest rate for a year. And of course, by the time he started raising interest rates up, he had already fueled a housing bubble, and as Rates continued to climb. We saw the collapse of that bubble in 2000, well, it really began collapsing in 2007. I think there were signs then, but more uh, visibly to the public in 2008, 2009. And you look at what happened leading up to that bubble, and then you think now, I remember Michael Pento, great economist, you might have seen him on CNBC from time to time, and one of my original Austrian economics teachers, not formally, but just uh, someone that I found really had a good handle on what was going on. And he pointed out that if you, I mean, last time they, they took interest rates down to 1%, left them there for a year, and you got the housing bubble. This time they've had interest rates at 0% for about six, five, six years now. And they've printed uh, about $3 trillion additional dollars uh, through the quantitative easing programs. And it, it's really startling to wonder if they really do stop the quantitative easing programs as they have announced. I mean, what, what exactly are they expecting to happen this time? Of course, a couple uh, episodes ago, we did a, another podcast about how Fannie and Freddie are being encouraged to issue more loans to people who can't afford to repay them. So it's it's almost, a, it's like if you wanted to create, let's say the, the last housing bubble just wasn't painful enough for everyone, and you wanted to do the same thing over again, but do it as big as possible. It's like these are the exact policies that you would put in place to achieve it. 
Now, I used to think that no one would do that intentionally, but I start to uh, question that more and more these days, and certainly as the evidence continues to come out that a lot of these events that we're seeing in the public and believing as reality in many cases are propaganda or false flag operations and, 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 and especially the Federal Reserve not being immune from that type of nefarious behavior. And if it sounds like I'm coming completely out of left field today, that's because I recently listened to an interview with the author of The Creature from Jekyll Island. Uh, let me look up his name here real quick. So I know it's Edward Griffin, G. Edward Griffin. I'll uh, look it up for you. Um, so I have not yet read the book, but I mean, the yes, G. Edward Griffin, Creature from Jekyll Island. But in this interview, he was kind of recapping it and going through some of the history and basically how it was done in secret because they knew that the public would never go for it because it was, in my opinion, very, the intention was very clear to take advantage of the system. And uh, I think it was one of the Rothschilds has been quoted as saying that if you control the money system, you can control a nation, even more so than if you're the president. So the whole thing to me is a scam. You, 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 you do any sort of independent review or even spend 20 minutes on YouTube and, and look at some of the things these guys have been caught doing. And, uh, you know, even, even if you just, you just want to take that as aside, for, maybe you don't want to question their intention, but just look at what Bernanke actually said leading up to the collapse of the bubble in 2008, where even after a lot of these things had already begun falling apart, and I think it was even June of 2008, Bernanke saying subprime is contained and nothing to see here. Reminds me of that that scene in, in The Naked Gun where Frank Drebin ends up riding that missile into a fireworks factory. The whole thing is exploding. There's lasers shooting all over the place. And, and nothing, nothing to see here. No, just... <laughs> And that was that was essentially Bernanke. So whether Bernanke was lying or just didn't understand economics, in either case, we saw what the result was. And you know, again, I think that the evidence for for those who choose to look of what is really the intention behind this group is rather clear, but. You know, whether it's the intention or not, you're getting the same result and they're doing the same exact thing. So I was surprised that they did announce that the QE programs are coming to an end. And of course, that would seemingly lead us into a rather volatile period coming up in the markets. When you think about how the stock markets have hit record highs, it's not a coincidence that this has come at the same time that $3 trillion has been printed, which keep in mind that the banks are the ones that actually get first crack at the money. And in case you haven't ever, ever thought about this, think about this setup. The treasury is wants to spend the money, which they don't have because they're spending more than they've even collected in taxes. They've scared away most of the foreign creditors, so they're not borrowing anymore. So this is 
why the Federal Reserve has come into play and, and been assuming so much of so, such a large share of the Treasury debt. But again, the thing that I found really can simplify Wall Street is that anyone can always think about the cash flows. I mean, you don't have to know every account and every switch, but if you get the general picture, you can just see how ridiculous some of these things are. So the Treasury issues the Treasury bond, sells it to the Fed. The Fed gives them however many billion dollars, which where does the Fed get it from? Now, they don't have money. That's where the printing press comes in, or as Bernanke amazingly even acknowledged himself in one of his 60 Minutes appearances that we... we <laughs> I'm going to try for a Bernanke accent here. Let's, let's see if I can get this one down. Well, uh, you know, we don't actually print the money. It's akin to printing money, but we just go in and mark up the bank's account on the computer. And it, and it was right there where my my, my jaw dropped. <laughs> Thinking, did, did he really just say that? You know, <laughs> we don't bother to print the money anymore. We just mark up the computer. Uh, there's JP Morgan, there's Goldman, extra zero. And, and I'm thinking, wait, is that really how this works? So the same banks that melted things down We're just going to mark up their account, and um, and and that's oh okay, that's, that's a great system. But the but it gets even better than that because what he fails to mention is that the Federal Reserve is owned by the banks. So essentially, what you have is the Treasury spending money. They issue a bond to the Federal Reserve, which is owned by the banks. That then sells those bonds to primary dealers, which are the banks. So the banks are selling the bonds to the banks. They're selling them to themselves. Of course, collecting a commission along the way. A very nice one if you've looked at any of the recent earnings reports. I mean, this is how these guys, one of the ways that these guys make a fortune. And it's really, it, I mean, it's... It, it's funny, I've actually been reading Dick Cheney's book lately, so my mind is going and all, connecting in all these fascinating directions, but it's really similar to the Enron accounting scheme. And it's worth noting that Congress does not follow the GAAP accounting system that it requires of corporations. So basically, when they called Enron in and everything they accused Enron of doing, they're running a very similar financial arrangement. So, it, it, again, I, the point is, this is how ridiculous when, and, and I think the, the strategy is to just keep people so occupied and, you know, focused on things of that aren't as important, which, you know, I hear a lot of people say, like, well, people are worried about TMZ or sports or rock concerts, whatever. And I don't know if that's really the way I would phrase it. I mean, I think it's important that we take a break from these things that that are happening. I mean, it's, it's very important to be focused and, and addressing them and aware of what's going on. So, you know, I think it's good to have, uh, you know, a mix and, and, and trying to still find a way to make life fun rather than being overwhelmed by the sometimes incredibly evil things that we see out of the government or these different groups that have power over us in one way or another. So I don't, 
I don't think it's a matter of, uh, you know, other people not be, being wrong for focusing their attention elsewhere. But in either case, what does often happen is that, and, and I say this not critically because I used to be one of them where my life focused on what the local sports teams were doing. And, and I think that's part of the way it works that people get distracted. So they, I mean, because if it's like, if anyone actually knew what was going on, it's not, I mean, when you have the things explained clearly, it's, it's not a rounding error. Or maybe someone put the decimal place. These are some clearly overt fraudulent systems and policies and belief sets in place that when the evidence and and supporting information is properly documented it was amazing to me that how it just left little question and and again i was working as an equity options trader on the new york stock exchange in 2009 when when they launched the first couple QE programs, that's quantitative easing, where they just started printing uh, additional money that's now in circulation. And, and it was amazing because in, in some ways it was like the, now I had been brainwashed myself for a long time, but I mean, imagine even the folks around me where it's like they, you, you could look in their eyes and see that they knew something was off, but it was just being overwhelmed by the that re- typical Wall Street response of, which was almost more look. You didn't even have to hear them say it, but just when I would try and discuss these things, it, it, they just looked back at me as if, hey, man, you know, my wife's happy. <laughs> we got two cars. Things are good. It's probably a Ponzi scheme, but I just don't want to know about it. And that was generally the uh, type of awareness or response that I saw during my time within Wall Street and you know, certainly you can turn on CNBC or read the Wall Street Journal. And <clears throat> now I'm sure I would like to think some of these guys, and I think certainly at the higher levels, there's a very clear awareness of how these things work and and what's going to happen. I think a lot of the lower level folks and just being, you know, a new guy out of uh, business school myself and only spending a summer inside of a bank I wonder sometimes if maybe that's why I didn't get invited to go back there when I was in uh, Wharton between 2003 and 2005, had summer internship at Merrill. And anyways, um, it's, you know, there's also so much information out there that's designed to mislead people that it can really become uh, quite a confusing market to invest in anyways or know where to put your money because another thing that i i've always wondered was that what if the federal reserve realized all right well everyone's going to freak out and and there's going to be panic if if we uh say we're if we're going to keep printing money until hyperinflation but what if they just said they weren't going to print money but printed it anyway now that's that's pure speculation on my part and just something I wonder about, so I'm not claiming that to be fact, although again, it was hard to ignore that when I was living in Europe for a year and a half between two thousand thirteen and two thousand fourteen, I noticed every time I went to the ATM that the bills were brand new, and since I've been back in the u s there seemed to be a lot of new bills here too and again, it just points out that really we have no idea what these guys are doing. Except that we know that it's usually not what they say they're doing. 
And in either case, with QE coming to an end, it's very, the mechanics of it are simple. If they actually stopped printing money, raised interest rates to get, and allowed the market to set interest rates, the thing would collapse for the same reason the last one collapsed. You lowered interest rates so to encourage people to take out loans at the lower rates. So they took out the loans at the lower rates. Think about it. When at the normal market interest rate, people, people or companies or bars were saying, you know what, in these conditions, you know, the cost of credit's too high, I'm going to wait. That was why I... Don't take my word for it. Read when Renegi did it. This is these are the reasons he cites his his amazing uh, op-ed. Actually, I <laughs> let's let's take it right from the horse's mouth because I, I think it's important to be clear. These these are not my <laughs> this isn't my random theory or opinion. I mean, I'm just <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't know if the guy is. Writing in it doesn't mean it, but in either case, let's see what he said. Uh, this is from November 4th, 2010, right after QE2 was launched. I think that one went for $600 billion. And Bernanke wrote his own op-ed, which he sent over to the Washington Post. You can Google it and find it. Um, and in that, he mentions... In defense of the $600 billion of long-term treasuries they were going to purchase, this approach eased financial conditions in the past and so far looks to be effective again. I'll, I'll try and get into my Bernanke voice again here. I'll, I'll do my best. Stock prices rose and long-term interest rates fell when investors began to anticipate the most recent action. Easier financial conditions will promote economic growth. For example, lower mortgage rates will make housing more affordable and allow more homeowners to refinance. Lower corporate bond rates will encourage investment. And higher stock prices will boost consumer wealth and help increase confidence, which can also spur lending. Increased spending will lead to higher incomes and profits that in a virtuous circle will further support economic expansion. All right. <laughs> Go read it for yourself. I, I promise I did not make this one up. I couldn't have thought of anything. <coughs> Excuse me. I couldn't have thought of anything that creative myself. So really Bernanke acknowledges that lower interest rates, higher stock prices to make people feel as if they have more confidence so they go out and borrow and spend more. There, there it is. His own words. You can... Find it online. You don't listen to me for it. I know. So, yeah, he got exactly what he wanted. He, the, the printed money did pump money into the economy, and a lot of it went to the government. A chunk of it went to the banks. Most of it, who knows where it went. I actually watched a clip of Bernanke the other day in Congress. They were asking him if he knew where all this couple trillion dollars that went to the banks over these past couple of years where it went, he said no. Asked the auditor. They said no. I mean, they were actually even implying that no one even does the marks on these books. And as a former trader, that's just impossible for me to believe. You have positions and, and no one's checking the P&L? <laughs> so, so, there's a couple of Pinocchios involved in this, in this whole arrangement. But in either case, where does that leave us? 
Well, let's look at a few quick scenarios before we wrap this one up today. Let's say that they really do stop printing money and they raise interest rates. Well, then you can expect something similar to what you saw in 2008, although I'd imagine would happen on a larger scale. Again, we just heard in Bernanke's own words, the whole point was to lower interest rates. People weren't borrowing money because the interest was too expensive. So he lowered interest rates until it was a rate that they thought, all right, well, this is cheap enough. And now he's saying he's going to raise interest rates again. Well, what's going to happen to loans? Well, he's going to be able to afford them. Okay. So that's essentially what happened leading up to the housing bubble, except now we have a housing stock market and bond market bubble. So you're really talking about decades of mismanagement reaching what I believe will be the final break point because I think enough people became aware to what was happening following this. I think 2008 crash was a big eye opener. It certainly was for me. I think it was for a lot of other people. Most importantly, I think it was for the foreign creditors. I mean, Russia openly talks about trying to smash the dollar down every day. The Chinese give every indication that they're taking active steps to prepare for that, which is more important than what any of these guys say, because, again, you follow the money. And I wonder if China is just working their way out of as many of those treasuries as they can and get as much gold as they can and when they can't do any more, then at some point you got to figure they acknowledge, well, we're not getting our money back from the U.S., so why, why should we keep sending them products? Let's, that's what a good trader does. You acknowledge the loss once it's been lost and you move on. And it appears that's what the Chinese are doing. So, again... Who's going to buy these bonds if uh, Bernanke doesn't? Maybe that's why the media is talking about the, they claim, new crisis in Europe, which is no new crisis. It's the same crisis from the last round, but they did the same thing as the Americans. They printed a bunch of cash, and the ECB you know, stands by ready and willing to buy the bonds, so everyone knows that there's the backstop there, and it incredibly distorts the market. So, <clears throat> again, you're... So again, what is important to realize is that you're left in a market that is basically dependent upon a group of people who have gotten caught repeatedly lying, committing fraudulent and criminal behavior decade after decade, year after year, and yet for various reasons they are still in control of the entire thing. So that's why, from my perspective, in terms of when people want a long-term investment, you know, to me, it still seems of gold and silver or something that you can hold on to and know is just sitting there and that whenever this rides out, which maybe it'll be another five years. I, I've, <laughs> what can I say? My, my timeline, I acknowledge, has been wrong. I'm, I'm shocked and stunned that the world has allowed this to continue on this long. Again, I understand that may... People might not understand where I'm coming from on that, and you know I didn't wasn't born with this belief. But after working on Wall Street and and studying the market manipulations, many of which people don't see, but who was it? I think it was last week. J.P. Morgan was announcing that they were involved in a new uh, criminal probe for I think it was fixing. Uh, currency rates or it's like almost every other week you see another one of these banks getting caught doing something else and 
that's why the non-traditional investments are taking on such higher value these days. And certainly to me, gold and silver seems like the easiest one because you know, you're going to have liquidity. You have a variety of different places you can store it. And at some point, maybe it's this year, maybe it's five years. I, I don't know how much longer than that it can go on, but that's the way I've always looked at gold or silver that whenever this thing shakes down, it's kind of like trying to time that last housing bubble. We don't know when it was going to end, but that's the purpose of having insurance. You don't, you're not sitting there necessarily worrying about the price each day, but if you feel that something is going to happen at some point, you know, then that's one way of having something in place. I think it's also a great time to invest in non, non-public companies in particular. I mean, the, the pricing of the stock market has gotten ridiculous and even worse is that people have been given the impression that the stock market is really the only place that they can invest their money. And that's, that's a relatively new phenomenon as well in the, in the last couple of decades where, especially now with the advent of 401k plans and just the stock market being turned into a casino, especially with the internet making investing more retail friendly in general, the stock market really has been turned into a casino the stock market also is manipulated in different ways. If you don't look up the plunge protection team, Reagan formed in 87, if you want to know more about that. But, you know, and sometimes the, in poker or in trading or investing, sometimes the proper trade is to pass. And I still think that where we're at right now in terms of investing in some of these public markets, which we know the banks are getting their hands on it, we know they're manipulated in many ways, and then on top of it, you have all the money printing coming in, which is distorting the pricing. So it's similar to, in some cases, like owning treasuries where, you know, in, in, in Europe with a negative interest rate, you know, your best case is you get 98 or 99 bucks back on the 100 and that's if they don't even default. So what is going to happen going forward is, is the Fed going to start printing again if the stock market plunges without the constant stream of new cash? That would be my expectation. I mean, it's hard to imagine that they still talk about how they believe in QE and think how great it's been. And that if you have another collapse, they're just going to sit there and let the thing collapse. So... We'll, we'll see how it turns out. My, my guess is that this is a temporary pause in any quantitative easing rather than some sort of finality to it. But that's, again, from the trading standpoint. And I know people often want you know, the, the, single, the simple pill or medicine or prescription to take that makes everything clear. But sometimes in investing, it really – it's not – a matter of just do this and everything is set, but it's really more a matter of understanding the context and what it really comes down to a lot of these markets is how is the Fed going to respond, which is something that we can make educated guesses about. And I think in the long term, we can have a greater degree of certainty. But when a market comes down to what a bunch of bankers <laughs> are going to arbitrarily decide that could be influenced by who knows which politician – it just seems to be a very terrible public investing environment to me. 
which is why you know the pe- the people who have moved towards starting their own business or investing in businesses that will actually thrive in the environment going forward. I, you know, I have a friend who used to be a uh, who's appeared on actually will be appearing on the show shortly. He's recorded some other interviews, but Robert Allen former broker from Euro Pacific Precious Metals has gone on to work on a uh, a Bitcoin-based project. And I think there's a lot of people that are seeing what's going on, looking for solutions and are looking for funding. And certainly that's why I've loved being involved in the free market community because that's really what the stock market was supposed to represent. You have the guy with the idea, you have the guy with capital, you get them together now, the stock market has become, and I say this as someone who used to trade equity options, but I, I don't own any public stock market investments, nor do I have much interest to outside of the mining companies. Again, that is not to say that every public company is bad or that there aren't good deals out there. And certainly, if you have expertise in a certain area, like maybe you really know semiconductor stocks better than you think the uh, other people are trading out there. And what I think is important is that you factor in that there is an increased probability of another collapse similar to 2008. And that's the main thing that if they really do stop buying bonds and raise interest rates, that unless they're rigging it somehow else, that is naturally going to have to happen. And we can prepare for that. And You can work around that, and if depending on your own uh, level of trading expertise, these are things that you can take advantage of, and reasons that I continue to research and participate in the mining stocks or even options on the mining stocks, which are highly risky, and I'm not necessarily advocating anyone else to do, but in this case, it's something I've spent my career studying And I feel I know well, but most importantly, I'm aware of the risks and I'm playing. It's like going to the casino, the guy who knows it's rigged, but thinks they've figured out a way to beat the house. Or if you're going to play poker for, again, perhaps a better example. So I don't want to discourage people from investing, but point out that it is a very chaotic investing environment. It's okay to pass. And there are also other people that are are trying to find solutions to what's going on that represent some some great alternatives to the traditional investing alternatives that I think we've been conditioned to believe are the only game in town. But fortunately, that's not the case. And if you have questions about some more of these avenues, then... You can contact us on arcadeeconomics.com. You can go to our Facebook page as well, which is facebook.com slash arcadeeconomicsconsulting. Please hit the subscribe button on this page. Uh, that way we can make sure that you continue to stay up to date on these things before they happen. Yes, not after this time. And with that said, I hope you're all out there having a great day and feeling good. God bless you all.